Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Please stand with me as we read the word of God. The word will be coming from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd speak to us. We just open our hearts in this space. We give you all the glory and all the honor. We believe that you are the creator of all things. You sent Jesus to redeem all things. And you sent the Holy Spirit to enable us to live into that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody set? Amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, welcome. How is everyone? You doing good? You made it back from Easter. All right. Uh, champions, champions of life. Um, well, hey, we, we are starting a new series this weekend. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, or if you're new, my name is Bronson. Uh, I'm one of the leaders and pastors here, and uh, we have a high value uh, for God's Word. Uh, tr- truth is an interesting uh, and oft-debated thing in our world, but I would submit that there's very little that is more important than having a solid base that you stand on. And for us as Christians, uh, our basis, both now and throughout history, is God's written word. Uh, We believe that God's word was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down by men, and then it's been fostered and cared for by generations of Christians who've gone before us and for the generations of Christians who will come after us. And for us, what we're to do as a community is we're to build our life, our faith, and uh, this life we have together of faith based on the word. And so, you know, I love, we've been doing this generosity liturgy for a few weeks, and uh, the idea behind it is that we're trying to form our hearts to understand God's heart for us in the area of generosity. And and I found so often in this, this isn't a generosity message, this is just for free, Um, but I, I found that so often in this area, we can think like, I'm giving my money to the church, Instead of recognizing that what we're doing is we're bringing resource into the storehouse for us as God's people to steward, to use, to go out and be a light to the world. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to form our hearts in a counter liturgy to the liturgies of the world, right? Because a liturgy is something that you do, that you repeat. And every liturgy in the world says, spend on yourself, live for yourself, and you will be satisfied. But if you live long enough, you'll see that this is a deceptive teaching that does not bring life. It actually, in a cruel twist of fate, brings death. And so we're we're trying to learn how to live into these things. And so what we're going to do is, uh, over this next several weeks and months, we're going to be just kind of walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to be asking this question, what is an orthodox, everybody say orthodox. What's an orthodox vision from the Bible for Christian living? Now, this, this word orthodox, it's not one that we use a ton, but it's one that you're going to hear from time to time. And you're like, yeah, orthodox, sounds good. But we don't always know what it means or define it. But what orthodoxy is, is it's historic Christian belief that's been held by people of faith from the beginning. And so like we talked about earlier, how we steward the word, what's happened through time, thank you. 
She went and made me a coffee. She's awesome. That's my wife. Everybody give Callie a round of applause. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. Um, what was I saying? Orthodoxy. Ah, yes. Um, and, and so what we're trying to do, guys, is we're trying to order and build our lives around these things. And why orthodoxy is important is under every generation, the foundational truths of Scripture and of the faith are under attack by counter-truths. And so a lot of times we think that we're in this unique place where it's like, you know, the truth is under attack. It's been under attack from the very beginning, right? That's why we have these letters, and so for us, our, our job is to come back to the way that we've been instructed uh, through the Word, through the prophets, through Christ, through the evangelists who wrote the Gospels, then through the apostles' teachings and the letters, and try to align our lives with this. So for us, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to kind of look under all the rocks of the ways that we think, the ways that we approach the world, and we're going to have so much fun. Are you all ready for it? This is week zero all right, for college football fans. Uh, so this is like uh, not week one, it's week zero, it's a few games. So the reason for that is I created all these documents and I realized I needed an introduction. So here we are, week zero. Uh, this will be a little bit shorter of a message than what you're used to. Uh, last week, it was 53 minutes in this service. And so this week, it's gonna be shorter. Uh, and all God's people said, amen. amen, that's a good thing. Okay, let me give you uh, a quick thesis uh, to work off of. And this is going to basically be the thesis for the series. Uh, it's this. I think they have it up on the screens, which can you all give a round of applause for the production guys? Um, they got here today and the computer that runs all this had crashed. And so those guys like rewired everything back there to serve you so you could have direction, so you could see the lyrics. I think we should give them a little bit better round of applause. Thank you guys. Uh, so thesis we're going to work off of is this, is that God has set out a life of faith and practice for us in the library of Scripture that, when followed, leads us into a life of internal peace and external fruitfulness. Internal peace and external fruitfulness. So the, the sermon title here is Discovering uh, Orthodoxy. Um, I, I'm going to use some words in here. We're, we're going to try to define it, but ha have, you ever, have you ever been going through life and you're like, gosh, I just wish I had a mentor. Anybody? Like you've had a season of life. I think all of us have had moments where we're like, gosh, like I wish I had like this old sage who's just gone through everything in life and can sit me down and say, hey, this is the path you need to go on. This is what you need to do. Hey, what you're facing, it's okay. I went through it. Uh, a lot of times as leaders, we're like, man, I just wish like somebody who'd led an organization like mine exists, like I could build a friendship and learn from them. Yo, what we get, in the library of Scripture is mentors and sages who've walked through or walking through. They've done it with grace, and it's written down for us so that we can learn from it. And so what we're going to do in this is we're going to get to sit down with one of the greatest sages of all time, the Apostle Paul. Uh, his ministry, the fruit, I mean, he was just a fierce uh, guy. I read one commentary. They said, uh, Alexander had no ambition that compared to this little uh, Hebrew Israelite uh, in the person of the Apostle Paul. Like, uh, you know, Al Alexander the Great conquered the known world, but pa the Apostle Paul evangelized all across the world. We're sitting here in Arkansas today. Like, I just, I just have to think, like, for him, if, if he could sit here today, and I think he'll have some awareness of it, 
uh, of what's going on, but he's just got to be proud. It's like, man, I did what God asked me to do, and like, look at the work. He just could not have imagined all that's come out of it. Um, okay, so I, I thought something that would be good to start. I did this in the middle of the message last service, but I thought it might be good uh, near the top this time. Um, there, there's ancient heresies that the book of Colossians was dealing with. Now, a, a heresy, what it is, is it, it's the inverse of orthodox, right? So a heresy would be a false teaching. And so we see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, the apostles, the writers saying, hey, beware of false teaching. Now, in Colossians, it's a little bit more subtle, um, and we're going to dig into that here in a little bit. Uh, but I thought it would be good to look at what are the heresies in our culture. And so uh, Lifeway did a uh, survey of evangelicals, and here are the top five heresies that, that they found. Um, number one, people believe that Jesus is not the only way to God. More than half, 50 per, 56% of evangelical respondents affirmed that God accepts worship from all religions. Let's keep going. Number two, Jesus was created by God. Surprisingly, 73% of evangelicals agreed to the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Number three, Jesus is not God. Uh, given the above beliefs on Jesus as a created being, it's not too surprising that 43% said that Jesus is not God. Number four, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. 60% said they don't believe in the, the, the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. And number five, th this I think, these are all massive, but I think we see the effects of this one. They, they kind of cascade and build. But number five, humans are not sinful by nature. 57% of people agree to the statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Okay, Th this is where language and belief is incredibly important. How often have you been talking to someone and they finished their statement with, but I'm a good person, right? So, so what we have, guys, baked in our society are modern heresies about God and ourselves and life that we have to unpack. Why? Because truth is important, okay? So what we think informs how we act, and how we act forms our life. Okay, I'm going to say again. What we think informs how we act and how we live, and that builds out who we are as people. That builds out our lives. Our habits form us, right, into who we're becoming. So what we believe informs the way that we live. Um, and so we're going to kind of track through this. Uh, this message is going to be brought to you by the letter P. Um, so we're going to look at the place, we're going to look at the person, we're going to look at the purpose, and we're going to look at the problem. Um, this is a prison letter. Let's jump down into this. This is a prison letter. Uh, Paul is living under house arrest in Rome, um, and, and it's written to a young church in the province of Asia by the Apostle Paul. So the place, Colossae. Uh, Colossae is in Asia, Asia Minor, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. And this letter is from Paul, so the person, uh, who is in prison in Rome, and he wrote this to a community of people planted by a disciple named Epaphras. Everyone say Epaphras. So Epaphras is an interesting cat. 
all right? So Epaphras, we don't have any church history or tradition that Epaphras was officially commissioned to go out and plant churches. What it seems like, and most historians would say and scholars, is that Epaphras was somebody who got saved in the church in Ephesus and was so moved and transformed by the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit that when he went back to his hometown in Colossae in his region, he just started sharing his faith, the good news of what God had done with people, and these churches start forming. Okay, and so what's miraculous about this guy is, y'all, you know, he was not some like you know well-studied, like perfectly commissioned guy. He was just somebody whose life had been transformed, and the power of God touched him. And churches and evangelism happened, and all this stuff starts breaking out. Uh, what we know about him is that he was a hard worker, which means the apostle Paul loved this guy. Okay, Paul loved hard work. Um, and he went out and he planted these churches. The purpose of this letter is that Paul had gone to his mentor, or sorry, Epaphras had gone to his mentor Paul to bring up some issue, issues they were having in the new community, and they were seeking counsel. Uh, this letter sent to instruct and pastor the Colossian people in their walk with Jesus. So um, we, we broke down some of those heresies. Every one of those things we're going to address in the coming weeks as we go through uh, this text. But what are they going to get instructions on? Uh, they're going to get instruction on Christology. What is Christology? It's a really fancy, overly complicated way to say who is Jesus, all right? Uh, we're going to look at that in chapter one. We'll look at salvation. Uh, what has Jesus, who's God incarnate, the visible image of the invisible God, what has he won for us? What is salvation? We're going to look at morality. How should we live in the light of the finished work of Jesus? Missiology. How do I go out and live missionally and share this gospel? We're going to see wisdom for formation. Uh, we're going to learn how to spot religion that brings about spiritual death. We're going to talk about that here in a second. We're going to learn how to spot heresy that chokes out the word, and we're going to learn how to live as individuals, as a community, and within our households through marriage. How do we walk out this newfound transformational faith that we've found? Uh, Douglas Moo, in his commentary, he says that this letter makes no explicit claim about its purpose, but the warnings about not being deceived by fine-sounding arguments and about those who would take others captive through hollow and, and deceptive philosophy and who are judging others and disqualify them, make it clear one of its purposes is to encourage the Colossians to resist some sort of erroneous teaching. Okay, so we're going to get into kind of the heart of the message here. That was all some preamble and setup. Here's where we're getting to for this morning, and we're going to close here briefly. Um, the problem. Heresy is what is being addressed. This heresy, as we talked about earlier, is teaching that's contrary to orthodox, historic Christian belief. Um, heresy is a word that we have to use with some trepidation. It's a very serious word. Um, and if you came up in like the, the late aughts, there was something called neo-Calvinism. Does anybody remember that? Uh, Neo-Calvinism, which was like this new reformation, which there was a lot of fruit from it. Uh, for me, I learned a lot for it. My love of the word came from it. But there, there was this word that was tossed around like every week by certain preachers, this word heresy. Back then, everyone was a heretic, okay? Like this was this constant word that was thrown around. And I was discipled under a lot of that. Um, and so for me, I had a, a group of high school guys uh, that I was leading through small groups. And I remember one week, I sat him down. And I was like, all right, boys, we're going to talk about heresy this week. All right, it's 21-year-old Bronson. Uh, and uh, it's like, this is how you spot a heretic. This is what you got to watch out for, and you got to call it out. And it's like, okay, go out, do it. So they come in the next week, 
and this kid comes in. I used to call him Quattlebaum, all right? And Quattlebaum walks in, and he's got his chest out. He's strutting in. He's proud. And he was like, this week at school, I found a heretic, and I called him out, and I let him know, you know, all this stuff. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one of the clearest times, and I just got this grief in my spirit, in, the Holy, or in, in my spirit, and I felt like God was saying, is this the fruit you want to produce? Like, this is the fruit of your life? And from that time, I just started being really careful how critical I was of other people's teachings when I was not sitting under it. I was not in the community. I was maybe just collecting sound bites. And so as we get into this, we're, we're going to look at all these beliefs. But y'all, it is so important that we stay humble and gracious as we go through this. Um, and so what we see here uh, in this book is they're, they're addressing something that's called Gnosticism. Um, that, that was one of the, the number one dangers to the early church. And if you're not familiar with Gnosticism, essentially what it is, is it's the belief that uh, there's this spiritual realm, and what's important is getting spiritual knowledge, but the body is utterly useless. And actually, the body is something that uh, keeps us from experiencing spiritual freedom. And so within Gnosticism, they had the belief that, that Christ was an emissary sent by another spiritual being. And so their belief was that he was not God, that the goal was not the redemption and, and the resurrection of the body, but that the goal was to be detached from that and to live in this spiritual utopia. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's where this meets us. Um, in, in 2015, they call this, the, the New York Times called it the year of identity. And something started to shift with, within our culture that was about 300 years in the making, and it all, boom, really shifted in 2015, which is that people in our culture stopped seeing authority as something that was external, but something that was found internally. And, and what happened is we started looking at truth to be, to be something that, that we discover within ourselves, and we have to work its way outward. And so if you compare this cultural shift that happened to this ancient Gnosticism, you're going to find a lot of similarities, right? And so what started to happen, and we've seen this within our culture, is that it's not the body, it's not things that are sound and sure that tell us the truth, it's how we feel about ourselves, right? And so what we have to do is we have to manifest that feeling and bring our external reality into alignment with our internal truth. But here's the issue with that. If you've lived long enough in life, you've realized that there's a lot of wickedness within yourself. And if, if that becomes our source of truth and our source of authority, what I've found in my own life and what I've observed within our culture is that it actually brings about more destruction and more death. And so the, the highest uh, morality for modern culture would be that I need, to, I need to express myself. It's called expressive individualism. And through that, I become my authentic self. Um, there, there's a book that was written in this past few years called Strange New World by a guy named Carl Truman. And I think it's the, the most necessary, helpful book uh, written by a Christian in the past 10 years. If you haven't picked up that book, it's a more simple version of his academic work uh, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. But he breaks that down. It's super readable. I stick in Strange New World. So I want to encourage you, drop that in your Amazon cart, pick it up, read it, because it is amazing, okay? Um, 
He, he says a few things, and we're going to kind of break down some of these pressures that we're under here in a moment. Uh, Carl Truman says this. He says that modern man seeks to be true to himself rather than conform thoughts, feelings, and actions to objective reality. Man's inner life itself becomes the source of truth. The modern self finds himself in the midst of what Robert Biela described as a culture of expressive individualism, where each of us seeks to give expression to our individual inner lives rather than seeing ourselves as embedded in communities and bound by natural and supernatural laws. Authenticity to inner feelings rather than adherence to transcendent truths become the norm. This modern self, then, is not accountable to theologians who preach on how to conform oneself to God, but to therapists who counsel how to be true to oneself. Bila, uh, two more quotes. He describes expressive individualism this way. He says, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Truman uh, wraps it all up like this. He says, in short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. Now, we, we can see how this type of a philosophy would work its way into the church if the majority of us believe that man is not inherently sinful, right? But if, if we look at the narrative of the Bible, it's that man has fallen and what we're doing is we're no longer bringing, building God's culture, but we're building the culture of the evil one. So if you go back and you look at uh, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, the temptation of Adam and Eve, was not just a temptation like, hey, I want to trick you into eating fruit. It was a battle for sovereignty. So what the devil was saying is, are you going to trust God in the way that God has laid out for you to live life, or... Are you going to trust yourself and trust your instincts and your own desires, right? That, that's what was laid out. And so what happened when man fell is we ceased to be culture creators, building God's culture and God's kingdom, and we began to be people who build culture of death and destruction. And so what Christ has won for us and what we're going to see in Colossians is he's won back for us our authority to build God's culture of peace and life. And so what's so important for us, guys, is just like for the Colossians, they had two separate pressures. They had secular pressures uh, of Gnosticism and paganism, and then they had religious pressures. We're going to talk about that in a second. But for us, guys, what one of the issues is, is um, the secular pressure right now is for us to combine a secular view of authority, which we just broke down, right? Where does authority come from in the secular mindset? within, right? It's yourself. So we, we've, we've been pressured to combine secular view of authority with the Christian view of grace. Now, here's the issue with that. If you have, you do you, live how you want to live, everyone's inherently good, and then you combine that with a doctrine of grace, that is an incredibly destructive mindset and theology which leads you to live in a way where you are never required to change. And if you look at the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus always brings grace but necessitates change. Now, here's what I found in my own life. I desperately need to change. Like, there are so many places, like I was making fun of Ian. Can I talk about this? Your squirrel thing? 
Okay, Ian loves animals and squirrels. Honestly, for me, like I've just, Callie's looking at me like, don't be rude here. Um, this is an unrenovated portion of my heart that I'm about to share with you. I, I'm not mean to animals, okay? That's not where this is going. But I just don't have, I don't like see somebody's dog and think like, oh, the puppy, I got to pet you. Like, I don't have that. I just think like, please don't step on my shoes. Like, <laughs> like please don't chew any of my stuff up. Like, whatever. And it was funny. I was with my buddy this weekend in Nashville. And he, every dog we pass, he stops and pets it. And I just stand and wait, you know? And so, like, Ian finds this squirrel, this baby squirrel, and he's saving the squirrel. He's like, what should I name it? And I was like, I don't care, <laughs> you know, what you name the squirrel. <laughs> but I confessed in this. I realized I was like, gosh, like, we're to love creation, and we're to have compassion. We're to be stewards of our creation. And honestly, I recognize, I'm like, man, that's an area of my heart that I need God to renovate. So you all can pray for me. Uh, th- there's areas of my heart that, that need to be renovated. Um, but but the, the core Christian ethic is that God has saved us from death, that Christ came. He's the, in, he's the visible image of the invisible God who came to live a life that we could never live. He conquered and trampled death on its own turf, right? And he won for us back the authority we forfeited. And because he's done that, he's given us this new authority and this new, to, new way to walk through life where we get to walk hand in hand with God and become who he's created us to be. It says in uh, Colossians chapter 2 that Christ has marched death naked through the streets. Woo! That is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He is shamed. He has brought shame on death so that we could live in life, okay? Now, what that means is that we have the gracious opportunity to be renovated as individuals, to be discipled under the teaching and leading of Jesus, the Master, and to become who God has created us to be. The issue is if we hold these secular doctrines and if we hold these secular worldviews, it does not call us to change. And what it will lead to, and we've seen this throughout the histories, is it will lead to more and more spiritual death and not life. So that's the secular side. The second side is the religious side. And we're going to close here 25 minutes in. And everybody said, praise God. Um, <laughs> As I was walking with my buddy Callie, is y'all saw her bring me the coffee? That's like the tip of the iceberg about like how amazing my life is with Callie. Um, this, this week, like I got done with Easter, I've been teaching a lot and busy, and I had a buddy who invited me to come to Nashville just to kick it, like a high school friend. And I was like, hey, are you good with me leaving for like 36 hours, and you have all three kids, and we have twin babies, if you don't know that, and uh, a four-year-old who's awesome, but the most curious, like destructive, beautiful child that you've ever seen. And uh, she was like, yeah, babe, you go. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So got to get out of town, and I was walking with my buddy, and uh, he's, did anybody go to Christian school growing up? I got to do a few years uh, on, in my Fresh Prince journey. Y'all know the story. Um, and so for him, he was what we called a lifer, okay? That's somebody who starts in kindergarten, goes all the way through high school. And we were talking, and he was like, you know, for me, so much of what I was taught as a child was, was guilt-oriented and shame-oriented. It was like, don't have sex before you get married, because if you do, God's going to be mad at you, and he's going to be angry with you, and you're going to disappoint him, and you're going to disappoint me too, and so don't do it, all right? It, it was never framed like God has a beautiful vision for your sexuality, and 
in the context of marriage, you are going to thrive and you are going to flourish and you're going to be fruitful and multiply and all these beautiful things are going to happen within the context of a beautiful, loving, covenantal relationship, right? That's the biblical vision of, of, of sexuality and how we're to live, but all he was given is this guilt, right? What you can see in the book of Colossians, and we're going to unpack as we go, is don't fall victim to the religious mindset. Don't taste, don't touch, don't eat. You know, practice the Sabbath, all these things. It says all of these restrictive things look like they have the power to change your life, but they don't. Only the finished work of Jesus has the power to transform you. And then it goes, and it gives you instruction for how to walk and live in holiness. Um, the, the issue is that what religion offers you is restrictions with no heart transformation. It offers you restriction with no view of flourishing. And what that actually produces in you, just like secularism and Gnosticism and all these things bring about death in you, religion, where it's guilt and rules without a bigger vision of beauty and life, brings about spiritual death in you because you are not able to live a sinless life. That is what Christ came to do. So you're going to fail and you're going to have all of this guilt. And so what Christ came to do, the alternative vision for this is Christ came, y'all listen to this, Christ came to put into your life the very spirit of power, of knowledge, authority, and grace that dwelt within him called the Holy Spirit. And what this Holy Spirit does is he leads us into all truth. He enables us to share the gospel in powerful ways, and he actually enables us to learn to keep God's law, which brings about human flourishing. Do you see the subtle distinction there? You know, the devil, when deception comes in, it is always subtle and difficult to discern. This is why we have to do the work of studying Scripture and covenanting together in community, living together. Because let, let me tell you this. I, I was in a conversation with a buddy. It's too private to share all of it because some of it's his stuff. But as we were talking and we entered into this conflict, right, we, we just hit this conflict where I had irritated him and frustrated him. Um, as we worked through that, we realized that there were some areas of deep bondage and deception in the ways that he was viewing things that were causing him to react certain ways uh, to conversations and conflict. You know, that's the process of discipleship. I heard a pastor say one time, if you're in relationships with no conflict, you're networking, you're not covet, uh, covenanting, right? You're not in community, you're in a network. And so what we're going to do, guys, is we're going we're gonna to push into deep relationships, and what's going to happen is there's going to be friction, and you're going to have moments where when you get into that, there's going to be tension that comes out because of these varying worldviews. But as we dissect these things and look at these things, God's going to lead us into more and more freedom. Uh, Here's the reality for all of us that we, that we have to recognize. This is why we need a truth source. This is why objective truth is so important. Um, what we do is we generally, without thinking, accept the worldviews of the age around us. We don't critically examine those things, and then we end up reflecting those things back out into the world. Does that make sense? So like a lot of the way that we view the world and that we view of life is just stuff we haven't critically examined that's come through our media, that's come through our culture, that's come through all that stuff. And the process of discipleship is uh, unwrapping and looking at those things. Amen? Uh, there's one more quote in here I wanted to give you guys. 
Yeah. Actually, it's just at the tail end of one I already gave. Douglas Moody said, it's clear that one of the purposes of this book is to encourage the Colossians to resist some type of Aaronist teaching. Uh, guys, we have to have uh, a spirit of resistance as we go through these things. And so um, what, what I want to close with is we're just going to close with some time of silence. Um, I just want to take, take some time and just sit and reflect and ask the Holy Spirit um, to stir up our, our hunger for the things of God. Um, y'all are familiar with the, the, the parable of the seeds and the soils? Um, what I want to do is I just want to take some time to tend to the soil of our heart. And it's important to remember that when it comes to the soil of your heart, you're the soil, you're not the gardener. And so what we have to do is we have to take moments to pause and allow the gardener to do his work. And so, y'all, there's places in all of our hearts where the weeds and thorns of the worries of life and the love of money, we talked about that, and all this stuff has just crowded out the soil. And what I want to do is I just want to take a few moments and just say, come Holy Spirit, show, tend to the soil of our hearts. Um, and I'm going to lead us to that prayer. Can we do that? Just take a moment, bow your heads. I'm just going to lead us into this moment of reflection. Just get comfortable where you're at. Um, it's helpful. You can hold your hands out, just kind of a posture of receiving. Come Holy Spirit. We just invite you in, both as a collective and as individuals, to speak to us. I just take a moment and become aware of God's presence. And in his presence, just bring your fears and anxieties to the surface, frustrations with work, with life, in relationships, disappointments. Let's just open up our hearts in those areas to the Lord. God, we remember the verse 
Your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. God, we rest in your sufficient grace. God, we ask that, Holy Spirit, the areas that, as we're just going through this introduction, if there's anything that you brought to mind where it's like, ooh, I believe that. God, we just graciously open up our hearts. And God, we ask that you would lead us into the truth. God, we bring to you uh, sin in our life. God, both conscious and unconscious. Just take a moment. Let's let those things rise to the surface in God's presence. God, we confess these things to you with thanksgiving for your grace. God, we ask that you just tend to the soil of our hearts. God, clear the field. God, make space for new fruit to grow. God, for your kingdom to expand. God, lead us into your vision for life. God, help us be a small but potent people who contain your power and your authority and your grace. And God, allow us to go out and live that in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.